Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. Hey there, it's Ron. Today's story comes from my friend and human treasure chest, Ben Roy. Ben is a stand-up comedian, podcaster, actor, and musician who's probably best known for his role as Billy Shoemaker on the television show Those Who Can't on HBO Max. Ben told this cathartic story about summer camp in front of an outdoor audience in the parking lot of Bumport Theater just last week. The theme of the evening was Countdown. Enjoy. Thank you for all that. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, my story is decidedly uh, inappropriate. If any of you are uncomfortable with body functions, now's the time to leave. Um, And I apologize. Yeah, you'll get fine. I think you'll be fine. when I was uh, 10 years old, uh, I, my, my, it was the 80s, you know, and every parent wanted you to go to summer camp. That was like the most 80s thing that everybody did. <laughs> parents would send you to summer camp because I, I asked my parents, I was like, why do you want me to go to summer camp so bad? And they were like, you learn life skills. And I was like, like archery or pottery <laughs> or building a fire, you know, things shit you used. I truly wanted to believe well into later on in life that I was gonna use this stuff. Like that I would solve some late night dispute out on the street with a perfectly timed arrow. You know what I mean? Or I'd solve some crazy argument at my house by presenting a replica Micmac wedding bowl. You know, but now I realize that camp was just a reason for my parents to fuck on the couch again. That's the only reason any parent wants you to go to camp, right? My parents wanted some privacy and I realized that And I was a very neurotic kid. I'm a very nervous human being. I've talked at great lengths previously. Look up my back catalog. (laughs) I talk about why I'm so messed up. But I I just was a very nervous kid. Hypochondriac. I'd convinced myself I'd had appendicitis. I'd had throat cancer before I fully understood what cancer was. And on a very rare occasion, and you're going to think I'm joking, I even thought I was racist. And I did not know what racist was but I had told people around me that I was racist. Um, But I grew up in Maine, so chances are I was pretty accurate on that. I mean, I was probably right. I I was probably intuitive at that point. But so my parents really wanted me to go to camp, and I did not want to go. I was like, I don't want to stay. It's a full week, but my parents assured me it'd be a really great time, and I'd have fun, and they calmed me down, and then, and then the next day, they took me to camp. And when I got there, I was like, this is amazing. Uh, I went to a, a camp YMCA in a little town called Reedfield, Maine. I'm from Maine. And I went to a YMCA camp up there. And this camp was press. It was on Lake Cabasaconte Lake, 200 acres, pristinely wooded. It was beautiful. And when I got there, I saw other kids. And they introduced me to nurse there who was like, understood my like anxiety and stuff. And they were like, he's real nervous. And she was like, don't worry, a lot of, you know. And when I was walking to the um, my, my cabin, they were going to show me my cabin. I, I locked eyes with this really cute girl who was so attractive, and I fell in love immediately. And I was like, yes, this is gonna be great. And we went into my bunk, and my mom was talking to my counselor, and I'm unpacking all my stuff. I have all my shorts, I have my undershirts, soap, everything, all of it lovingly emblazoned with my name 
on the inside waistband of everything. Shirts, because our parents believed in the 80s that if they didn't write our fucking names on these things, that we would be returned home to them nude, as if robbed by gypsies or something. Like, well, I don't know why my mom was so concerned. These weren't that nice of clothes, but my mom was so afraid they were gonna be taken. She wrote everything. And so I'm standing there and I'm packing it up and he's like, you can have the top bunk. And I was like, this can't get any better. I got the top bunk. Who leaves the top bunk? Dipshit on the bottom bunk. I got the top bunk. And so I'm setting my stuff up and then I hear the counselor that's showing my mom and I around. They're like, great, everything's in order. I'll show you the outhouse. And I was like, come again? And they were like, yeah, outhouses. And I was like, no, 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 no. What do you mean an outhouse? And so they took me in, and it was an outhouse. I don't, I don't go to the bathroom in outhouses. Like, I'm a very, very nervous child. I, I was convinced. I don't, at that time, I didn't know what World War II was about. But I, I was pretty sure good men and women went overseas to die for our right to go to the bathroom in potable drinking water. Like, I was convinced that we fought for something, you know? Like, why not to just hurl parts of ourselves into the abyss? Like, I didn't want to do any of that. And so they're walking around after showing the outhouse, and I'm trying to bargain with them. I'm like, well, isn't, what, is, what bathroom does the nurse use? Surely a healthcare professional doesn't use an outhouse. And they were like, no, 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 we did. And, and she's like, we have a bathroom in there. And I was like, ha, 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 maybe I could use that. And they were like, no, 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 you, you go where all the other campers. And I was like, well, may, maybe, maybe, how about if my parents picked me up once a day to bring me back to my house to save miles from here to use the restroom in my own house and then they drop me back off. And they were like, no, 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 you have to go in the outhouse. And I was terrified. And I was like, I can't do this. But then I remembered my dad used to always watch Cheers. And I'd seen an episode of Cheers where Sam and Diane were in an airplane with a pilot who had meditated himself to slowing his heart rate down to like a couple beats a minute and he had tricked them into thinking he had died. And I remember thinking, and I asked my dad, I was like, can people do that? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, well, that sounds legitimate, you know? And then I realized if someone can do that with their heartbeat, then I could hold it. And on that day, I resolved to myself that I would not take a dump for the entire week I was there. Eight straight days. And I made it seven straight days. And I tried, now obviously this is through the filter of me being an adult, okay? But I tried to, um, I tried to like kind of remember some of the feelings I had uh, from over those seven days, okay? So I counted down each day. Now I would just go to the bathroom, I'd go pee right beside in the woods, beside the cabin. And then I would just clinch and hold through sheer will. Seven days to go. With the exception of the last, uh, this is the worst day. Um, my body is trying to do something that I'd always been expected and welcome to do, so it's really fighting me. I'm forced to rely on the passing of gas for relief, but as you guys know, that, that's not enough. 
I only get short respites from the bloating, and for the first time that week, and in my life for that matter, I'm forced to sleep on my back. It's not something I'd ever done. Um, next day, six days to go. The bulging in my guts are now getting worse, and it's becoming a constant companion. I've avoided any strenuous activity for fear I'm going to lose it. There are some positives. I've found canoeing to be a perfect activity for me. I don't have to exert myself, and it allows me enough open space to pass gas in. Uh, I also appear to have very few mosquito bites because of the permanent wall of gas I'm surrounding myself with. I'm like pig pen from, from Peanuts. Uh, it's also on this day that I've made the decision to start restricting how much water and food I'm taking in. That seems to be adding to the, to the problem. Five days to go. God fucking help me. Um, I didn't sleep much, and on that morning, I couldn't sit up to get out of the bunk. I'm completely stiff. Uh, I had to roll myself to the edge and slowly lower myself down stiffly over the railing like a long board being handed uh, to a contractor. Um, I have intermittent spells, spells of nausea and dizziness. I'm now only eating small pieces of bread and gulps of water. And I also, by this point, appear to other campers to be some sort of canoeing enthusiast. <laughs> Four, three, and two days to go. Uh, these days all blend together. I don't remember much about this, but they're not that bad. Actually, this is when I seem to have turned the corner. I don't feel much. Uh, I started wondering to myself that if on a long enough timeline, the body can sweat solids. <laughs> I had that thought. Uh, I was able uh, to play and run around with other kids. I started eating food again and taking in much more water. Uh, and aside from the occasional blinding, stabbing pain that would hit my kidneys and it would rotate to my liver and it crumbled me to the ground. Like I would be like, <laughs> and I'd fall to the ground. Um, yeah, camp is fun. It's a good time. Uh, one day left. D-Day. <laughs> a day that will live in infamy in my family. Uh, on this day, I woke up feeling fine. I was fine. But I did notice my body is changing. Um, my belly now is permanently distended. And I remember even at 11 thinking that I looked kind of pale. Um, but I didn't give a shit. I was leaving the next day, so it didn't bother me. I was like, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Like, I made it. Seven days. What could be bad? And so they call over the intercom, and they're like, last day, campers. Everybody meet at the Great Hall for a dance. And I was like, hmm, I'm up for a dance. So we got to the Great Hall. All the campers are in there, and we're joined hands in small circles, then bigger ones, doing that weird concentric circle thing where you're spinning in different ways. And I'm having a good time, laughing, jumping around, head back. And then all of a sudden, I heard a sound that at first I didn't realize had come from within my own body. But it sounded sort of like what I imagine an iceberg dropping off from, a, from an ice shelf sounds like. It's just a cracking sound. Like a... And then a... And then a like that. And it was as if, at that point, I was entirely full. Like, my body had been injected with a foam cast of myself. Like, just like... Oh, my God. And not unlike, I'm sure, a pregnant woman, I realized 
I didn't have the ability to resist the push anymore. I was fully dilated at that time. So, I break from the chain of friendship and I start walking out, not wanting to draw attention to myself. And I'm trying not to open my hole, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't want a deep enough stride, right? So I start walking out like this, right? And I'm, 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 but I'm going quicker. I look like the angriest little speedwalker you've ever seen. Just, I'm like out the door, down the steps, straight need, right? And then I see the outhouse down the block. And so I'm going. Then I'm realizing this shit's coming, it's coming. And I can't stop it. So now I just am like, go for broke. So I start running, right? And I break into a full run and I can see it. It's like 50 feet. And I'm like, <laughs> 40 feet, yes. 30 feet, come on baby. 20 feet, at about 15 feet, my bowels just let go. And I exploded. And my underwear and my shirt were tucked into each other. So when I shit my pants, my underwear acted like a high-lie scoop and whipped it straight up my back. Now, I'd never had my feces do this before. I had no idea what just hit me between the shoulders. So I reacted like I'd been shot. And I was like, yeah! And I hit the ground and landed on my face. And I remember thinking, yeah, what's on me? And then I realized, I'm on me. It's me. I reached back and I was like, oh, oh my God. And I was convinced that everybody in the place had seen this happen. Surely they saw me leave like that and followed me out the door. But when I stood up, I looked back, no one was on the steps. I was by myself on the dirt. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And so I got up and like I was afflicted with the most severe case of spinal bifida anybody's ever seen. I walk half hinged into the bathroom and I take off the top layer and somehow it is not that bad. The top layer had nothing on it because I had my fruit of the looms and my, my, hand, my tidy whities tucked into each other. So it kept it all contained. So I took that off. Then I took off my destroyed clothes and I dropped them in the trash. And then I tried my best to clean myself off. And then I pulled my over stuff on and I walked out and I went back to the gathering. <laughs> Believing that if you just dry wipe off everything on you, that somehow no one will know. So I go back into the great hall. I'm sure people smelled me, but no one said anything. And then the next day, that night, we had to shower anyway, as we did during the evening. So I went and showered. And, in the, and I was like, I got away with it. But in the morning, in the morning though, I was walking and kids were snickering at me and it was the last day and my parents were there and I was like, <laughs> and they'd laugh. And then my camp counselor was like, you doing all right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, great. And he smiled and I was like, <laughs> everybody's awful friendly today. 
So I went back into my room, and my parents were coming, and I'm packing all my stuff, and I look down in horror as I realize that all that underclothing that I threw in the trash had my fucking name all over it. I wouldn't, if I, I couldn't have given it away. If I had shit in a self-addressed stamped envelope, they would have figured it out quicker. And I realized that everybody saw my stuff in that trash can that looked like a hot candy bar left on a dashboard. Like this was, this was an incident. Like it wasn't healthy. Like you'd be concerned because I rooster tailed this thing up my back. And I never went to summer camp again. I've never been to another summer camp again. I, I thank you for letting me tell you a fecal story. And thanks for being here. Hey, way to be up front. Hey, good job. Narrators is produced by me, Ron Doyle, and Aaron Rollman with help from Karen Wachtel, Jesse Witten, Scott Carney, and Sydney Crane. This is your first time listening to our podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe. And if you're already a subscriber, please leave us a review. They really help people find our show. If you're in Denver, our live shows take place every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater. For more information and past episodes, please visit our website, thenarrators.org. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Bumport Theater Company, Illegal Pete's, From the Hip Photo, Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk, and we'd also like to thank Ben Roy again because his band spells provided the outro music you're listening to right now. You can find a link to their music in the show notes of this episode. We'll be back next Friday with another true story. Until then, thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Wall, wall, wall. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see your face through the summer.